Uh, today we're going to continue in on our series of I Pledge Allegiance, um, exploring the significance of um, what it means to be a, a kingdom citizen. And I'll just restate uh, from last week uh, the goal of this series. Um, the goal of this series is not to tell you how to vote because, um, well, we missed that deadline. Um, but it was meant to be on the backside of that, of like, I mean, we all lived through this past week. Um, it's, it's, it was meant to give us a bit of like sanity and a bit of grounding and a bit of like a theological framework of what it means to follow Jesus in the midst of an empire, in the midst of a, another kingdom. What does it mean to, to be a citizen of a kingdom of God and to have a primary allegiance to that? Um, and so last week we looked at um, the, the beginning of this idea and that um, the good news for Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, was the news of, of a kingdom coming to people who were nervous and uh, anxious and overwhelmed and feeling burned and overwhelmed by the system, the kingdom, the ways of being. And the good news that there was a new way of doing that and it was a better way and it was a way that had um, like the longevity to change the world. And Jesus invites us into that, to pledge our allegiance and to live into the reality of that. So building on that this week, uh, we're going to um, continue on and flesh out um, some ideas of, of allegiance and what, what that might mean for us, um, again, living in the midst of an, another empire and another kingdom. So as we get ready to dive in, uh, let's pause for a word of prayer. <clears throat> Loving God, um, we are so grateful um, for this chance to gather together. God, whether here in the sanctuary uh, or in our homes or on our front porches on Zoom, God, we're grateful um, that we can continue to be the body of Christ. Um, God, we're grateful uh, for this chance to open up the scriptures and to wrestle with them. And uh, as we do so, we acknowledge that your spirit is here among us. Again, in the sanctuary, in our homes, on our front porches, God, your spirit is uniting us. And we pray as we acknowledge your spirit among us that your spirit would lead us and guide us and shape us and form us into the image of Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So imagine that uh, our church put on like an epic sort of kickball game. And uh, it's in the midst of COVID, so none of us have anything going on, but we all want something to have going on. And so all of us show up and all of us take part in this kickball game. And it starts out friendly enough, right, um, as most things at church do. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things where if you make a nice kick, everybody claps and says, nice kick. Or you make a diving catch, everybody says, hey, nice catch. Or you make a tricky throw getting somebody out at third, like everybody says, hey, nice throw. But something happens about halfway and the, the energy of the game shifts. And what started out as a friendly game is now getting a bit competitive. And as we get towards the, the end of the game, like things are getting heated. Like we have parents out on the field talking smack to one another and their little kids are behind them talking smack to one another just as their parents are. And things are getting intense. Well, now we come to the very, very end of the game. It's the bottom of the ninth. Uh, there's two outs. Bases are loaded. Or no, there's nobody on base. And uh, uh, you find yourself as the coach. Now, uh, before the game uh, started, we established the rules that if we found ourselves in this sort of particular situation, you as the coach could pick anybody from your team to go up and kick. And so I come up to you as coach and I start pleading with you. I'm like, coach, look at my stats for today. Look how good I've been doing. I've been feeling it. I am in the zone. Coach, put me in. Coach, have faith in me. And you ponder and you scratch your head and you say, okay, okay. All right, here's the deal. I have faith in you. Bruce, you're up. Go kick. You can imagine like the, the shock on my face, right? 
Like there would be a disconnect here, right? Because you said you had faith in me, but did you actually have faith in me? No, of course you didn't have faith in me because we all recognize like faith isn't just some sort of abstract idea, but faith has some level of follow through with it, right? Um, this is why when we talk about faith, sometimes it's helpful to add in other words or use other words to, to describe what we're talking about. So when we talk about faith, we may talk about faith as trust, um, having some sort of belief in something, but a, a following corresponding action with it. Or we may say that faith is fidelity or loyalty, that it uh, has some sort of commitment to a person or a place or maybe even an idea. And if we work our way down the litany of, of things that we might use to describe faith, maybe we would come to a word of allegiance. Now, allegiance may seem like a, a strange uh, word to, to connect with the word faith, but I think that's often because um, when we talk about allegiance, it's often in regards to nations or in, in regards to uh, this realm of politics. So you may be thinking when you hear the word allegiance, something like the pledge of allegiance. And it may seem like a strange thing to talk about faith as allegiance, but if we look at the origins of the idea behind the Pledge of Allegiance, we see that it was designed to be a tool to instill uh, a sense of loyalty and patriotism. But not just like uh, instilling a loyalty and patriotism among like natural-born citizens, but specifically for immigrants coming to the country. Now think about that. It was meant to design, or it was designed to instill something within them. The, the Pledge of Allegiance was designed to uh, shape and form the conscience of Americans to have trust in a nation. It was a, a tool that was designed to shape and form the conscience of Americans to have fidelity and loyalty to a nation. It was a tool designed to uh, shape and form the conscience of Americans to have allegiance to a nation. Or we might even say it was a tool designed to shape and form the conscience of Americans to have faith in a nation. But the problem with all of this is that as followers of Jesus, we're called not to uh, allegiance to a, an earthly kingdom. But as we, we looked at last week, we're called to an allegiance to the kingdom of God. For Jesus, the news of the kingdom is the good news. This is the central message of Jesus. And we're all invited into this to pledge our allegiance to this. But the problem is, as we think about this particular moment that we find ourselves in as Christians in the United States, I feel as though um, many of us have been shaped and formed in a way to, uh, to, to give a greater level of allegiance to the kingdom of the United States rather than the kingdom of God. Um, now think about this, like how many of us uh, on spot, you don't have to raise your hand, uh, from memory could recite the Pledge of Allegiance? And I'm curious how many of us would be able to stand up and by memory recite something like the Beatitudes, like the foundational texts, the teachings of the kingdom of God. Now I don't mean any sort of judgment behind this because um, uh, for most of us, this would have been like a sort of passive formation. Um, I would assume that many of us, if not most of us, grew up saying the Pledge of Allegiance at the beginning of our school day, right? Before we even knew what the words, I pledge allegiance mean, right? These were kind of the waters that we swam in, like we were just shaped and formed in this way. But the problem is it didn't stop at a passive formation because for many of us, we began to have an active formation where we began to, to um, turn our attention to um, 
um, political positions and political parties and political pundits. And rather than the, 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 the voice of Jesus shaping our political imagination, we turn to these political pundits to shape our political imagination. But the problem here is that we're not called to an allegiance to the kingdom of the United States. We're called to an allegiance to the kingdom of God. And so uh, what I want to do this morning is I want to turn to one of the foundational texts of Paul as it relates to faith in terms of like salvation. And I want to take this word faith and I want to substitute it with the word allegiance. And I want to see if this can help us give some clarity on what Paul is talking about when he, he talks about being saved through faith. So uh, we'll be in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, uh, Ephesians uh, is a letter that was written to... Um, uh, the faith community in Ephesus. And um, Ephesus was the city that found itself as a, a port city. So you can imagine uh, being on the, the sea with all of these different ships coming in, which means that there's all of these different people coming in with all of these different ideas, all of these different philosophies, all of these different ways of being, all of these different religions, which means that the city of Ephesus as a whole was a bit of a melting pot of, of ways of being, of thinking, of philosophies, of religions, which means for the Christians that were living there, their main task was sorting through all of this, sorting through all of this and figuring out what it means to live in the way of Jesus, despite all of these um, differing and maybe even conflicting ideologies that bombarded them each, day, each and every day. So uh, Paul opens up this letter with all sorts of beautiful, robust language, pronouncing a blessing and a prayer for um, the believers in Ephesus. And then as we get to uh, chapter two, verse one, things uh, get really, really dark, really, really quick. <laughs> So Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 1, You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which, you, in, one, in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the des desires of flesh and senses. And we were once by nature children of wrath like everyone else. Pretty bleak, huh? <laughs> It seems as though after Paul paints this beautiful picture of like this blessing and this prayer upon the people, he needs to take a moment to comment on what we might call like the human condition. And when I say the human condition, I don't mean like your human condition or my human condition, but I mean like collectively, like we as humanity, like this is the human condition. And as he comments on the human condition, he says that we were dead through trespasses and sins in which we once lived. But if we press in closer here, we recognize like this isn't just an equal playing field, but that there's some power dynamics at play in the sins and the trespasses in which we lived. So he, note, he says, you were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, keyword now, following the course of this world. So notice that there's, there's a power um, differentiation here now. It's no longer just people acting out of their own volition, but it's now somebody following somebody the course of this world, and there's a, 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 there's a leader, and there's a follower, and the followers are humanity. There's a leader leading us, and there's the followers of humanity. But this power dynamic gets all the greater as he presses on, and he says, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. Now we're not just talking about a leader and a follower, but now we're talking about a ruler, the power of the spirit of the air, or um, uh, the power of evil, or as Paul puts it elsewhere, the power of sin and death and darkness. We're talking about a ruler and we're talking about subjects, and the subjects are humanity. 
Now, as Paul talks about this uh, human condition, it seems as though we've been shaped and formed in the way of evil or in the way of the, the powers of sin and death and darkness. And this is what theologian Miroslav Volf calls the colonization of evil. Like we have been colonized by evil, that evil claimed our lives, that evil claimed our souls, that it set up shop and began to dictate what we did. And on one hand, like we can't be blamed for that, right? Like we have this dictator that came in and started calling the shots. Like we were colonized by evil. So of course, like what, uh, what, what sort of power and might do we have against this fight uh, with this colonization? And yet it seems as though along the way in this human condition, uh, yes, we were colonized, but somewhere along the way, we just kind of gave in to it. <laughs> we stopped resisting, and we began to say, like, well, you know, like, holding on to anger towards my spouse well, kind of feels good sometimes, right? <laughs> um, holding bitterness towards my neighbor, well, yeah, that kind of feels good sometimes, too. Or greed, oh my goodness, do you know what greed can get you? Yes, we were colonized. We began to be shaped and formed in this way. But as we walked in this way, we began to just finally give in and say, oh, this kind of feels good. Now, when I think about uh, being colonized, I think about my uh, eating preferences in downtown Canton. Um, before we moved here, uh, we heard about this restaurant named Delhi, Ohio. Um, and we, we saw a lot online about it, and we were very intrigued. But then as we got here, um, it felt like that's what everybody was pushing us towards. I mean, like on our very first night here, Darren took us out to eat at Delhi, Ohio. <laughs> and then it seemed like for the next few weeks, like anytime I met with somebody, it was at Delhi, Ohio for lunch or for coffee or whatever. And it felt like I was being colonized into my preference for eating downtown to Delhi, Ohio. But then somewhere along the way, <laughs> I just kind of gave in. I was like, oh, turkey, bacon, and avocado combined. That is pretty good, right? And I began to schedule all of my lunches there or all of my coffee meetings there. And I even began to go on my own to study there, right? What started out as being colonized, kind of forced into this, quickly merged into, I just kind of gave up and said, okay, I do like this place. It is pretty good. And I think in some ways, this is what Paul is getting at. Um, we were initially colonized, like humanity was, was claimed by uh, the forces of sin and death and darkness. We were laid claim to by the power of evil, and we began to be shaped and formed in that way. And somewhere along the way, we finally just gave in and said anger and bitterness and greed all feel good, and we began to pursue this way of living. But fortunately, Paul has some good news along the way, because in verse 4 he writes, But God... One commentator notes that um, when we see these two words together in Scripture, like good news is coming. He writes, But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him uh, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. But God, we were colonized, but God showed up and did something. Out of the goodness, the mercy, the love of God, God intervened and God stepped in and God did something. And as Paul says, God saved us. But that begs the question of like, what were we saved from? We'll go back to this imagery of like being colonized by evil. See, this was our human condition. We were colonized by evil, but God stepped in and God saved us from this colonization. God freed us from this colonization. 
God delivered us from this colonization. God liberated us from this colonization. We were once under this oppressive rule and reign of the powers of sin and death and darkness. We were uh, controlled by evil, being shaped and formed in evil. But God stepped in and God did something and God saved us, freed us, delivered us, liberated us from it. But now having been liberated from this home and the colony of evil, we have to ask this question of what do we do next? (laughs) If that's no longer our home, what is our home? Well, he continues on and he writes, For grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not the result of works so that no one may boast. God steps in. God acts, God initiates this. God steps in, saves us, frees us, delivers us, liberates us, offers us this gift of new life. But for Paul, like this gift has to be grasped. This gift has to be actualized and we have to respond in some way to live into the reality of this new life. And the avenue for Paul of living into this reality of this new life is what he calls faith. And it's at this point that I want to suggest that maybe a better word for us in the 21st century than just faith is the word allegiance. Now, there's nothing wrong with the word faith. I think this is the word that Paul meant, and I think Paul wanted it to be translated as faith. But the problem is, uh, for us as modern folk, um, we tend to think about faith differently than I think Paul did. And I think the way that we think about faith misses the mark of what Paul meant. Because for Paul, I don't think he meant any sort of like um, uh, abstract belief, some sort of like mental assent, or just thinking about the ways that our mental furniture is arranged in our brain. But I think for Paul, he, he meant uh, some sort of action, some sort of commitment with it. Um, so, for example, uh, there's a, a contemporary writing of Paul um, from Jewish scriptures uh, called First Maccabees. Um, and uh, when we get to First Maccabees, this would have been a story that Paul would have known very, very well. It's a story of, of the Jewish people, and it's a story of oppression. It's a story of occupation. It's a story of the Jewish people being a political pawn, and it's a story of uh, revolution and revolt. Um, and so as we read this passage, all of that's at play, and we get this message from a guy named King Demetrius. And he writes, King Demetrius to the nation of the Jews, greetings. Since you have kept your agreement with us, and have continued your friendship with us, and have not sided with our enemies, we have heard of it and rejoiced. Now continue to keep faith with us, and we will repay you with good for what you do. Think about this. Is King Demetrius just wanting to know that you like believe that their empire is out there in some way, but you can do whatever you want? (laughs) No, that's not what he's talking about, and that's not what Paul would have been talking about. For, for the first century writers, faith would have been so much more than just thoughts, but faith would have been connected with action. Um, some have described it as embodied loyalty, or I think we can just use the word allegiance. See, I think what Paul is getting at here is the, the, the human condition is one of colonized by evil, evil, shaped and formed in the ways of evil. But God stepped in. God intervened. God extended a grace, uh, an act of grace, a gift of new life to us. But for us to, to live into the reality of this new life, we have to grab it. We have to walk in that way. We have to pledge our allegiance to that. That's the avenue through which we live a new life. Or we might just simply say, 
that pledging our allegiance to Jesus as Lord uh, saves us from all that wants to colonize our souls. This, this expression of Jesus is Lord um, is one of like the, the earliest Christian theological statements. Um, and as you might guess in a series on politics, uh, the word Lord was deeply, deeply political. Um, the, 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 the head of the Roman Empire, Caesar, used this, this phrase to describe himself and wanted people to confess that Caesar is Lord. It carried with it a connotation of authority and power, but it also carried with it a sense of like divinity and being godlike. And so the idea was that Caesar is God and Caesar has power over us and, and Caesar is the one that will lead us into life and life to the fullest. But the early Christians said, I don't think that's the case because we've had an experience with Jesus and Jesus is the one that leads us to new life, not Caesar, not the way of Rome. And so not, Caesar is not Lord, but Jesus is Lord. And they began to recognize that to follow in the way of Caesar and, the, and, and Rome uh, led to a colonized soul but to follow in the way of Jesus and the kingdom of God would lead to a liberated soul. Pledging our allegiance to Jesus as Lord saves us from all that wants to colonize us, colonize our souls. And I don't know about you, but um, uh, it feels like there's an awful lot that's wanting to colonize our souls right now. <laughs> um, it feels as though there's an awful lot of kingdoms that are wanting to colonize our souls, wanting to lay claim to our souls. Um, Maybe for us, it's the, the kingdom of uh, um, wealth or uh, success or power or popularity. Um, or maybe it's the, the kingdom of safety and security. But the one that I'm uh, especially concerned about in this particular moment are the kingdoms of the Democrats, <laughs> the kingdoms of the Republicans, and more specifically, the kingdom of the United States. See, I think that these kingdoms are wanting to lay claim to our souls, wanting to colonize our souls, and wanting to shape and form our souls into their very own image. But the problem is, is if we are saved by pledging our allegiance to the kingdom of God, saved by pledging our allegiance to Jesus, then that means that we cannot flirt with any other allegiances. And so for those of us finding ourselves in this particular political moment, this means that... Um, we have to like learn uh, and discern the ways in which uh, these kingdoms or this kingdom of the, the United States are wanting to lay claims to our souls, wanting to colonize our souls, wanting to shape and form our souls. But it's not just enough to like learn and discern and stay neutral. Um, I think we also have to learn how to practice pledging our allegiance to Jesus and, and learn ways of being shaped and formed in the image of Jesus. Because if we're not actively doing that, I think uh, the colonization is going to be too strong and we're going to be shaped in the form of the kingdom of the United States. And so uh, I wonder if we can do some like Jesus juking here. Um, if we can take the, uh, a cue from Jesus where he, he takes the ways of the kingdom and subverts them for the ways of the kingdom of God. So maybe rather than uh, getting up and pledging our allegiance to the flag every day, what if instead we got up and we actually memorized the Beatitudes and allowed like this core teaching of Jesus to like shape our political imagination? What if instead of at our lunch break of turning on the news and listening to the political pundits, instead we opened up to Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and sat with this, this, this imagery, this operating system of the kingdom of God and allowed it rather than the political pundits to shape our political imagination? 
And what if we took the same sort of commitment that we had to some sort of political leader and applied that same sort of commitment to the poor and the marginalized among us? Meaning like our attention on social media, meaning our, uh, our time, our conversations, our resources, and our money. <laughs> I think when we begin to do that, we, we then are understanding what it means to pledge our allegiance to Jesus and are being shaped and formed in the way of the kingdom of God. And this is a, a thing that will save our souls from all that wants to colonize them. <laughs> now, I'll, I'll reiterate what I said last week. When I say all of this, I'm not saying that uh, U.S. politics or our city politics don't matter. Um, if you listen to the voices of those who have often been um, uh, uh, separated from positions of power this past week, um, you would know that city and uh, national politics matter. Um, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't care or that we shouldn't be involved. Um, but what I am saying is, is that as we step into these conversations, as we step into these arenas, as we step into these spaces, we do so with a clear understanding of our allegiance. And that's not to uh, a party or to a nation, but that it's to the kingdom of God. And we do so recognizing that pledging our allegiance to Jesus as Lord saves us from all that wants to colonize our souls, including this very particular political moment that we find ourselves in. And that feels an awful lot like good news to me. Amen. Uh, so uh, I want us to, to close our sermon time uh, uh, by, by going through the same prayer that we did last week um, from Jesus for President. Um, We'll have it on the screen for Zoom, and we'll have it on the screen here if we can figure that out. We'll see uh, how it works. But if not, uh, the refrain is simply, uh, we pledge allegiance. All right, let's pray. Today we pledge our ultimate allegiance to the kingdom of God. We pledge our allegiance to peace that is not like Rome's. We pledge our allegiance to the gospel of enemy love. We pledge our allegiance to the kingdom of the poor and broken. We pledge our allegiance to a king who loves his enemies so much he died for them. We pledge our allegiance to the least of these with whom Christ dwells, we pledge our allegiance. To the transnational church that transcends the artificial borders of nations, we pledge our allegiance. To the refugee of Nazareth, we pledge our allegiance. To the homeless rabbi who had no place to lay his head, we pledge our allegiance. To the cross rather than the sword, we pledge our allegiance to the banner of love above any flag. We pledge our allegiance to the one who rules with a towel rather than an iron fist. We pledge our allegiance to the one who rides a donkey rather than a war horse. We pledge our allegiance to the revolution that sets both oppressed and oppressors free. We pledge our allegiance to the way that leads to life we pledge our allegiance to the slaughtered lamb. We pledge our allegiance. And together we proclaim his praises from the margins of the empire to the centers of wealth and power. Long live the slaughtered lamb. Long live the slaughtered lamb. 
Long live the slaughtered lamb. Amen.